It's uh, 1103 Dr. Payne Show. The sun is out. It's beautiful. It's Saturday. Get out there and use your body and exercise and move because yes. movement's key. Sitting around doesn't do sweet F.A. We know that, right? That's the worst oh. thing you do for any sort of physical problem. Well, generally, unless you can't move. But you yeah, and often it, talked about it, that. it generally obviously depends. But in general, the the chronic aches and pains yep. are not the things you should be uh, sitting around, moping around and not doing anything. Those are are absolutely the ones you should uh, be moving around and doing things. Now, obviously, if you have an acute ankle sprain, you know, you're playing basketball yesterday, you roll your ankle, well, you shouldn't be moving that around today. Yep. So, yeah, like our pal oh, Courtney. Are. You got an ankle yeah, she's got, a, she's got a bad ankle. You've had that for a long time, and you're young. Yeah, well, yeah, in January, I rolled my ankle in Cuba, yep. and it just has not gone down in swelling. Yeah, most most people that I meet that roll their ankles in Cuba, there was alcohol involved, I bet. I was going to say you should be rolling something else in Cuba when you're <laughs> kicking it, man, not ankles. Yeah, no, and that. I mean, once you start rolling your ankle, the unfortunate reality is the the ATFL, which is one of the ligaments there that holds um, the ankle, I guess, to the to the leg. Um, is it's the easy most, to roll again? Yeah, well, you start to lose. So every time you sprain it, anytime you sprain a ligament, it loses a certain degree of its... Uh, um, of its strength, and it right. starts to become more and more elastic. Um, and so people that have chronic ankle sprains, it's often due to a very weak um, ATFL. And because you have that ATFL, you just have excessive movement in in that foot. And so you, you essentially end up you know, rolling your ankle more often. And so once you roll your ankle once, you're more likely to do it again and yeah. again and again. And so obviously rehabilitation is very, very important in terms of um, looking at the other muscular structures that you can make stronger that would do the same actions, such as tibialis anterior, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and also, you know, people who are athletes maybe wearing bracing while you're in your, your activity is, is important for stabilization. Um, you know, later on in life, there's the potential of fusion, but you know, getting it fused is not an ideal um, thing when you're younger because you're going to lose mobility in other areas naturally right. from fusing a certain segment. Um, but very, very common. And I mean, in terms of short term, when it happens, uh, obviously, you know, ice, rest, pressure, elevation, those are the big things because the ankle will often um, swell. Does your does your ankle swell, Courtney? Um, it was. I remember it was really yeah, puffy at one time. It was awful. But yeah. when I go to the gym and like after I run, it gets pretty swollen. Oh, it does all. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have you sprained your ankle? Um, well, I've broken it three times. Oh, wow. And then okay. sprained it twice. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh, you got some rehab to do. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Right? A little bit. You got to catch up on all that. But yeah, absolutely. Very, very important. The rehabilitation. I mean, we were just talking with uh, Greg about that with, uh, with his knee, uh, knee reconstruction, the ACL, uh, and how important that is. And I mean, he was very surprised about how many people don't do the the active component of their care. Uh, I'm no longer surprised because I, I see it all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the reality about what I do is I'm very honest with people. So when I do see people that aren't following through with their prescribed treatment, whatever that may be, I just am honest with them, right? You're, you can't expect to get what you want to get out of something if you're not putting in what you need to put in. And, and the thing about physical medicine in general um, is that it requires an active component and re requires some type of uh, in involvement on your part. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing that 
active component, well, then your outcomes are going to be minimized. Your prognosis is not going to be there. Um, you may very well, like even in Greg's case, he, he even if he did nothing, he would likely start to feel better. But what happens later on? And this is where we get, you know, people who come in and say, yeah, I had this type of injury and I did this and I never really rehabbed it properly. And we had a couple of callers last week who were, you know, saying similar types of things that they never really did the proper rehabilitation. I had a patient call me this week. Um, had cauda equina syndrome oh. um, back in the 90s, had to have emergency back surgery, yep. obviously. Um, and, you know, he's he's kind of done the passive things, chiro, physio here and there, massage when it's uh, aggravated, but never really done a good structured program of rehab. Um, and I said to him, I said, well, why not? And he said, because no one's ever really mentioned it. And th- this is a big thing. I mean, we we were speaking with Greg about how important it is for um, the, the patient to be involved in their care. But equally so, there's a lot of clinics out there that aren't making that part of the program, right? Because doing that stuff is hard. It takes time with people. And it's much easier to slap a machine on a person, walk away and leave them there. Yeah. Um, and so, and I mean, there's a time and a place for that type of uh, modality and that type of treatment intervention as well. But uh, in general, you do need to also have that active component. And a lot of places aren't recommending that stuff. And so it's very, very important that you're going to reputable places as well, because if you're not, you're not going to get the right treatment. And if you don't get the right treatment, I mean, it's not the average. It's not the average person's job to know how to rehabilitate a, you know, yes. after an in, uh, after an injury or after surgery. That's why you're going to see the professional. So um, very, very important. And you know, obviously, anybody that's listening, if you've um, just had surgery uh, or have sustained an injury, and even if you are going somewhere and you just want to have a conversation about what the right things that you should be doing are. I'm, I'm happy to answer those questions. There's, uh, you know, even like with Greg, he was going somewhere else. I didn't I didn't ask him to come to one of my clinics. It right. sounded like everything that was happening was happening in the right way, and that's all that matters. The phone lines are open, as you know, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have pain concerns, rehab concerns, anything to do with your person. Bring it on. Uh, Dr. Lou is here to answer those questions. Uh, outside of show hours, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U and info at paincarecanada.com. We'll get back to the Doctor Pain Show right here, Global News Radio six forty Toronto. It is eleven thirteen. Yeah, plenty of time to call in four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell. David, first up, how are you, pal? Good morning to you both. Uh, thank you for taking my call. No worries. And, uh, I listen. I listen to you every Saturday. And, thank you. Uh, it's. Uh, it's pretty good. Of course, I listen to Craig first to get my morning chuckle, and then and now then the serious and stuff. Then the serious That's stuff. That's it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's put it this way: I'm 63, going to be 64 coming up next month. Yep. Uh, been active in the sports and hockey, football, baseball, that nonsense when I was a youth. Uh, and now both my big toes, the large bone before it becomes your toe. Yep. Both of them are, you can see some redness and swelling. I've gone to the doctor. I, you know, you, the last thing in the world you want to do as a human being is Google your ailment. Yeah. It scares the hell out of you. Um, so it, it's not a bunion. It's, it's not gout. Uh, I've had at my uratic acid checked and all, everything else. It's nothing like that. He calls it a calcification of the bone because the bones have been broken a number of times. It's built up a calcium. Uh, the pain is just, Sometimes it's throbbing. Uh, there's every now and then when I squat, uh, it'll crack, and that provides some relief. But I'm sure I'm doing more damage to it every time I do that. Um, 
and I'm just wondering, you know, he told me there's an operation, but he says you don't want it. It's more painful than what you got right now. So. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, right off the bat anytime. So that that is uh, a, a big area in terms of where osteoarthritis can set in, which is what calcification is. That's all he's saying is that you have significant arthritis in that joint, which if you do, it tends to be, yeah, very, very painful. Um, anything, once it becomes bone on bone, is going to be painful. Um, right. the, and that's essentially why when it cracks, it feels better because there's a gap in that joint and that provides some temporary relief for you. Um, in terms of, you know, anytime something is, is bilateral and symmetric, meaning on both sides and in the same area, I always like to rule out anything autoimmune. Uh, now, you're in your age group and as a male, it's limited to how many things would be autoimmune that would cause that. So that's low on the list for you, but nothing is ever impossible. Um, your doctor likely did do some blood work. Obviously, anything in the big toe, you want to look at gout for sure. But if your uh, uric acid levels are normal, then obviously it's not gout, which is good that that was ruled out. Um, and that leaves us pretty much with the, the me mechanical osteoarthritis type of pain. And so, you know, the question becomes, what do you do for that? And, and really, the answer is pretty tough because, I mean, you can do a lot of conservative types of interventions, whether it's therapy, bracing, uh, different types of exercises, and all of that will provide, you know, some temporary relief, I guess, maybe at best medication. Um, and then, yeah, there's the option of surgery. It's always, again, in the foot, the, the one thing that I can tell you is when you go in and intervene on the foot from a surgical standpoint, you often end up losing mobility in other areas. And so what, because there's so many little joints in the foot, like if we broke it down, it's not like when we look at the leg and it's like, well, there's just the knee joint, right? There's, there's a lot of little joints in, in the foot and in the hand, right. actually the same kind of thing. And so once you start screwing around with one joint, well, then other problems tend to develop. So... I mean, I'm often, I often like to advise that if you can do the conservative things and control your pain in that way for as long as you possibly can, I think that's probably a better option. And then once it gets to the point where it's not controllable with those things anymore, then maybe surgery is the option. But again, with surgery, I think the best thing to do is always go get that surgical consultation. Now, you, what I mean by that is you can still go see that surgeon, right? So if your doctor says there's a surgery for that, um, I would say, okay, well, send me to see a surgeon. Uh, let me speak to them and let me find out just the pros and cons. And because the surgeon is going to know the most about that type of surgery, right? Me, your family doctor, we're going to give you the general things about it. But a surgeon is going to be the one that, uh, that really is going to provide you with with the best answer in terms of it, it, what to expect from that. Um, and, you know, sometimes I tell people and then get a second uh, surgical opinion, right, from two surgeons and see if those opinions coincide and correlate or are they totally different? Because if they're totally different, then that should raise some red flags for you because, um, you know, why? Why would they be that different? Right. Uh, and so... Right. I would say that that's the best option. I mean, in general, I obviously can't comment on exactly what it is or what the best way to treat it is unless I see you. So if you're interested in an assessment, um, you know, that's another good option for you is come in, have an sure. assessment, and let's take a look at it. But there's a couple things there to consider, obviously, but it probably, in my opinion, sounds m more osteoarthritic um, due to other injuries. And it's just simple. I shouldn't say simple. I should say mechanical osteoarthritis. Now, are there any uh, types of topical treatments uh, that you can put? I mean, there's no muscle really in, in that foot area. So, you know, topical treatments for pain and muscular aches, 
I can understand it, you know, maybe heat penetration and that, but, you know, uh, soaking your feet in Epsom salts, uh, yep. uh, stuff so, like that. Yeah, the big thing to, to try to figure out is, is your pain inflammatory in nature. So often with osteoarthritis, it's painful because as the bone starts to touch bone, um, there's inflammatory uh, reactions that happen and there's inflammation happening there. So, uh, and again, I don't know because I haven't looked at your foot, but if that was the case and there's inflammation, then I I would say some type of anti-inflammatory cream uh, is a good idea, like a Voltaren, which has the clofenac in it. Um, or, or you can go more natural versions of the cream that don't have the medical grade stuff like trauma care uh, might be an option. Uh, but again, it depends if there is true inflammation going on. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank no you. No problem. Thank you, David. Uh, you need to follow up one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. Email as well info at paincarecanada.com. Still got plenty of time uh, for your calls. I see you there, uh, Stephen. We'll get to you and you as well. Four one six eight seven zero. 6,400 star, 640 on sale. Dr. Pancho, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yeah, you can call that number. Still have plenty of time to call in, ask your questions, get some answers, move on from there. Uh, Stephen, thanks for hanging in, fella. How are you? Good, good. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. No worries. Uh, Dr. Lou, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a trainer, but uh, one of the biggest questions I have, and a lot of people, is when do you go to emergency for a sprain or mm. something like that to find out if it's broken or not, right? Because if somebody falls down the stairs, really bad uh, sprained ankle, right? Yeah. It's already, it's already um, uh, inflammatory. It's already bruising. They can't walk on it. Mm-hmm. But you're putting ice, compression, elevation on it. So where's the fine line? Because yeah. my wife broke her elbow a couple of years ago, waited a couple of days, went in, found out that it was broken. It wasn't sprained. Right. Yeah, so yeah, so I would say in general what I would say is that oftentimes like even even if something is how do I put this? So even if something is it's a good question. I like the question. I'm actually trying to think of the way to answer. I have the answer in my head. I'm just trying to figure out how to get it out. So let let's start with the things that would be an absolute emergency where so if you fall so when we look at what's called the auto ankle rules, for example, which is the the, the guidelines that we would use for um, taking an X-ray when we think an X-ray should be taken, mm-hmm. uh, things like if there's trauma, anytime there's trauma, that's like usually an indication that yeah, you got to have an X-ray on that. Now, does that mean that that is an emergency that you should be going to an emergency room, or can you wait till the next morning? That that's kind of, and I think that's right. what you're asking. Where is yeah, that fine exactly, line? Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't want to send somebody into a merge and have no. eight hours versus going yeah. into a so, clinic, having the doctor say, oh, go see it. Uh, go get an x-ray. They go in. They go to exactly. the clinic. Yeah. So I would say in general, the things that would be an absolute emergency is obviously if there's a visible deformity. So... You know, sometimes people break their their leg and you can actually see that the bone has shifted, you know, and other times you'll have fractures that is just like a hairline fracture. Well, that that's not an emergency because it's it's stable. It's what we would call a stable fracture. Mm -hmm. So anytime there's some type of visual deformity, absolutely 911. 
if there's obviously bleeding an open wound, that, that would be a, another reason just because of the risk of infection. The other right. big thing would be is if you start to get any type of paresthesia, so altered sensation. So if you start to, you fall, you roll your ankle, and all of a sudden your whole foot starts going numb, uh, or you start losing motor control, any type of neurological symptoms, that's an emergency too, because maybe the fall or the trauma or whatever uh, maybe severed the nerve or affected the nerve, and so that needs to be dealt with immediately. And so I I would say those are probably the the three or four things that I would say are an absolute emergency where if you're dealing, if you, if you've sustained that go, um, if it's kind of like what Courtney did in Cuba and you roll your ankle, it gets a little bit swollen. Those are the things that I think, um, you could probably manage and go, you still should get it checked out, but you should, you, you don't necessarily have to go clog an emergency room with that type of visit. Um, yeah, because you get sore throats and mild fevers, and they're all over yeah. the emergency room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so, and and, and that's what I don't want to bog them down because that's the last sure. thing they no. need over there. Yeah, so I would say those are probably the big things: any type of visible deformity, any type of open wound, um, any type of neurological compromise where someone's complaining of like severe numbness or severe pins and needles or loss of motor function. Um, and and I would say maybe even if the swelling is beyond what you would expect, so like. You know, Courtney just showed us a picture of her ankle when she, and it was pretty swollen, but it's not very bruised. So if something is like swollen and extremely bruised and the bruising is going all the way into the foot and those things that there might be a lot of blood that's accumulating there. And again, that may be putting pressure on nerves and things like that, that needs to be dealt with. So I would say those are the four big things where, yeah, you'd probably want to tell somebody head to an emergency room. All right. Perfect. Okay. Thank you very much. No problem. Appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate that. And what's the, the one you mentioned, keep mentioning about the back? Cauda equina. Yeah. What yeah. is the, yeah, why? So, so oftentimes people that have disc herniations, okay. um, equina syndrome. So the spinal cord, when you look at the anatomy, the spinal cord, so you have your brain, then you have the brain stem, and then your spinal cord mm-hmm. starts. Uh, around T11, T12, your spinal cord actually ends, and it becomes the cauda equina, which means horse's tails. So in the spinal cord, um, all of the nerve fibers are concentrated into a cord, kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, a... a um, uh, a wire or something like sure. that. And then after T11, T12, it separates into a whole bunch of little nerve roots. Like and guitar it looks, strings. It looks like a down. horse's tail. That's yeah. why it's called the cauda equina. It's Latin for horse's tail. Cauda equina syndrome is people that have some type of disc pathology. So when we look, so the disc can either inflame, right? It can bulge, it can herniate, or it can sequester. A sequester means when the jelly actually falls in to the spinal canal. Wow. So anything that puts severe pressure on the cauda equina is going to cause certain types of symptoms, the most serious ones being bowel bladder dysfunction. So you are unable to control your bowel bladder function. Mm-hmm. That's an absolute medical emergency. Really, and, eh? and it's something anyone with a disc herniation needs to be aware of. Very low chance, but you need to be aware because if you feel bowel bladder symptoms, you got to get emergency surgery to get the pressure off the nerves or it becomes permanent. Short break and your phone calls. Lines open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Payne Show continues, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And 11.32 till 12 o'clock, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. That was a good lead in that last call. Simple yeah. things leading to a, a quick jot to the emergency room. Yeah, that, that's actually good. Like when, And I think it's probably a good thing to have a conversation about what things... Um, would warrant you, like what would seem like simple issues, simple musculoskeletal issues, what things would warrant um, 
an emergency visit. And so then we we started at the ankle. Now, the extremity, the arm would be kind of similar in that sense, right? So yeah. any type of paris, uh, onset of sudden paresthesia after trauma or visible deformity um, are things that we talked about, cauda equina syndrome in the low back. Um, with neck pain, you know, something that I guess we should bring up. Some, so stroke, stroke is a big thing. Okay. So neck pain, one of the initial symptoms of a stroke can be a headache and neck pain. And so a lot of people are unable to distinguish is this the same type of headache that I've ha- I've had my whole right. life that Good I call. get, or or am I all of a sudden sustaining, stroking out. stroking out? Yeah, exactly. So there's a couple things there. Number one, people that have some type of brain hemorrhage will, will obviously complain of a headache because you know, there's hemorrhaging going on in your brain. Uh, but what they'll characteristically say is the worst headache of my life. So if all of a sudden you are experiencing the worst headache that you've ever had in your life, that should start to raise red flags. The other thing that should raise red flags is stroke is is essentially some type of uh, blood um, uh, blockage. Bl- blockage to the brain. So any type of neurological symptoms, especially on one side of your body. So if all of a sudden you start to slur your speech face or droops. your face droops or you start drooling out of nowhere or your one eye goes blurry or blind totally, um, or you start to get sudden numbness on one side of your body or sudden weakness on one side of your body. Those are all things that if you thought it was just a normal headache, it's not. That warrants an emergency medical uh, a 911 call because it could be a stroke in progress. And now what people with anyone with cerebral or vascular cerebrovascular or cardiovascular issues, when you call 911, they'll often advise that if the person is conscious, um, that they should be chewing on an aspirin, aspirin? Yeah. Uh, because the nitroglycerin will actually help to open, dilate the vessels to help blood flow. So that is a big, big thing. So even for yourself, if all of a sudden you think something is going on, as long as you're able to um, safely chew an aspirin. Keep some aspirin so handy. I think aspirin should be handy in everybody's household because it can really be the difference if you're sustaining really? some type wow. of cerebrovascular or cardiovascular event. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Ray, good morning. Good morning, uh, doctor. <clears throat> About a, <clears throat> a month ago, I'm not sure if it was, you know, you get a kink in your neck and you, you do the stretch and, it, and the, the kink will pop. Yep. Um, or I banged my head on a low door about a month ago, top of my head. But since then, I've been getting a ringing in my head, like a ringing, uh, not a buzzing, but like a, a ringing. Yeah, like a tinnitus, yeah. okay. And uh, and I went, I had a CAT scan. Good. Had blood work done, and there was they didn't see anything. Good. And it's not constant. Uh, 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 if I go on a bike ride, and maybe an hour into the... Uh, the bike ride, it'll start ringing again. Mm -hmm. And then it'll subside in about an hour, and then it'll come back. Yeah. So so one of the things, so, you know, if someone said ringing again, this is one of those things where I'd start at what are the more serious causes, right? Did you have some type of uh, cerebrovascular event? Uh, Is there some type of growth in the brain somewhere? Now, obviously, you've already had all that ruled out. um, And so, so that's very good. One of the things is there. there's actually certain muscles in the neck, and they actually tend to be the muscles in, in the front of the neck versus the, the the back of the neck, so towards the throat, so the bigger muscle, the SCM, can actually radiate. So we've talked about myofascial pain before, which is 
uh, pain that radiates into different areas. There's a couple trigger points, interestingly enough, and I actually learned this not too long ago from a massage therapist that I uh, work with and then looked up some research on, and it's really, really interesting. Um, There's a couple muscles that when they, so, you know, if you have, for example, um, like a trap trigger point and you push on it, people will feel pain into like their forehead, for example. Well, there's a spot on this uh, SCM, which is a muscle that when you push on it, people will hear ringing in their ears. Wow, really? Yeah, and so and so, you know, Ray. Again, I would have to assess you to make sure of all these things. Uh, but sometimes it's something to consider. Sometimes these serious types of symptoms can also just be muscular, right? So even there's something called cervicogenic angina. So people who have sudden chest pain that they think it might be their heart muscle, mm-hmm. um, it can actually be related to the muscles in the neck and the and the different nerves that go down that way. And so we call it cervicogenic angina. Now, obviously, if you're sustaining chest discomfort, the more serious thing to rule out first is actual angina or some type of uh, of myocardial infarction or myocardial event. So obviously, uh, you know, this stuff needs to be done in a certain progressive order, which is sort of what you've already done, Ray, where you're ruling out the more serious things. Could also be an inner ear issue um, that, that is causing that tinnitus. So that's not necessarily an emergency, but the crystals within your inner ear might've maybe shifted with some, with some of the things that you did, and that may be creating an issue, but those are all things that can very easily, uh, be assessed clinically. So I would say, come on into the office for an assessment and let's try to figure out what it is. Yeah. I'm waiting for uh, my uh, referral for an audiologist. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Where where they'll, they'll test like the different ringing of of different sounds to see what my range is. Yep. But yeah, but but even even yeah. yeah, so even then I would say you can come in before that. Like I mean that's that's great, but again there's there's a couple simple tests that we can do that'll start to tip us off and and like anything the sooner you get it treated the better. Very good. Thank you okay. very much. No problem. Thank you Ray. That number again 185555 Dr. Lou D R L O U and info at paincarecanada.com. More of your phone calls back to it Adam. I see you hanging on there and uh, you have time as well 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale. Dr. Pain Show, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 11.42, Saturday morning, a lovely weekend, and plenty of time for you to call in, get some uh, some questions answered, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Lou here to answer them and send you down the uh, the right path. Adam, thanks for hanging on, pal. How are you? I'm very good today. How are you guys? Good, sir. Good. What's uh, what's going on with you? Well, I just caught the tail end of a discussion with herniated discs, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, one of my problems, and I was in a car accident about eight years ago, and I herniated like eight or 10 discs and it's really bad. And, uh, but I have a problem now with my bladder. I've always had it like ever since, like within six months after the accident, I started to have uncontrollable, uh, actions with my bladder. Okay. And basically they kind of just, well, it's your age, you know, other reasons. They never really, cause they said if I had a problem with, uh, you know, having a problem with uh, having a number two or whatever, then that would be an issue. But they never thought it was important with the bladder. Mm -hmm. And I heard you discuss it. And I went, that sounds like me. Yeah, it would be, it's it's a pretty progressive thing that that gets worse. It doesn't often stabilize on its own. So just by the very nature that it's kind of like, you know, stop for you. I, I don't know if it was necessarily that. It may just be coincidental. Um, or maybe it was mild and they never caught it and 
And, uh, but you know, you, you'd see that on MRI. And obviously if you know, you have that many disc herniations, they, they must've, uh, um, they must've taken an MRI, right. Or some type of CT scan. And then the, you'd catch a cauda equina syndrome on, on imaging. Yeah, no, I've done all of that. Like, I've had probably five MRIs at least. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't seem as interested in my bladder problem. And it's a major problem. Like, any outings, driving a car, uh, you know, like, I get, like, a five-minute warning if I'm lucky. Mm. Yeah. Um, again, it's not, It's again, it's a little bit different the way cauda equina syndrome presents. Could it have been? I don't know. I mean, at this point, whether it was or wasn't, the important thing is that if it was, for example, whatever you have is permanent. Like, there's no, there's no real, real way to reverse it. Have you seen a urologist about your issues? No. Yeah. No, so I, I would just ask your family doctor to refer you to a urologist and and uh, um, and get that. Okay. Okay. No. No. I just uh, thought there was more information on it, and I appreciate it. It was a great show. No problem. Oh, thanks, Adam. Appreciate that. Follow up if you need to. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U. Move on to uh, to Dan. Hey, Dan. Hi there. How are you? Good, pal. What's going on? Good. I called you guys a couple of months ago. Uh, it was with regards to a, a Baker cyst that I had uh, for about a year at the back of my knee. You told me to sort of wait it out, see if you know if it wasn't giving me any problems, which it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, within a month or two of calling you, it started getting bigger. Uh, I also felt additional pain in the middle of the knee, and it's gotten quite large. So I went to this uh, orthopedic surgeon. He uh, recommended we drain it. We mm-hmm. did drain it. And within a week, it was back again, uh, pretty, pretty much the same size, same symptoms. Yeah. Uh, my thinking is, you know, just because I've had torn meniscus before, is that it's feeling very similar to the torn meniscus, which I'm wondering if that would cause the fluid. Uh, he wants to drain it a second time. I'm kind of curious what you think. So, I mean, if you've had a torn meniscus before, oftentimes the Baker cyst developed due to degeneration within the knee. Um and, and because the fluid is seeping out. So you might just have a degenerative meniscus because of the, the previous things um, going on. And so, yeah, I, I mean, have you had an MRI of your knee? No, we haven't had that yet. Yeah, I would say, I mean, get it drained again, obviously, if the fluid is building up. But I would say probably getting some, uh, you know, good high quality imaging like an MRI at this point is probably not a bad idea. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Appreciate that, Dan. Again, one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou D R L O U. Info at paincarecanada.com. Describe the consultation because we talk about that, and you say, "Give me a call and go from there." It's very, very simple. Give me a call one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou, you're going to leave me a message. I'm going to call you back. I will be calling you back from the eight five five number. So if you see that, answer that, um, and and we're just going to have a conversation about whatever the issue is. Usually, I would say on average takes about ten minutes. Depending on your issue, maybe it's a little bit longer or a little bit less, uh, but there's no rush on my end. Uh, and we just essentially have a conversation. And, you know, uh, you if I think that it's something that I should assess, if you're interested in my assessment, I'll make that recommendation. Uh, equally so, sometimes things like this. This is a perfect example. I'll just say go back and, right. and get an MRI. There's nothing that I'm going to be able to add to what you're doing right now. Um, and other people tell me with call me with things that are totally unrelated to the things that I particularly treat. And I just basically try to advise them on, you know, going back to their family doctor or whoever their primary healthcare provider is. Um, and, you know, just sometimes I can even help people 
formulate their words, right? Because a lot of people don't know how to describe right. their issues, those types of things. Um, and it's free. So it's, it's, it's a free phone call that you're going to have with me. Uh, and uh, about your issues, I mean, you know, my expertise being the musculoskeletal pain. So obviously those, I think, are the better things to call me about. Um, and the other things, obviously, you know, I'm going to know the extent of, of knowledge that I'm going to know from from learning it, but it's not something that I... I practice every day. So if you're calling me with urinary issues uh, or I've had people call me with even cancer-related issues, not my specialty. I'm, right. I'm often just going to send you back to whoever the per, your specialist is. We'll take uh, one more small break here and get back to the last few minutes, which means you still have time. If you want to ask a question, call in 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Pancho, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. We have time. We'll uh, get through an email or two, but uh, before that, always, Alan. Hello, thanks for calling in, Alan. How are you? I'm good, and you? Good. What's uh, what's going on with you today? About two and a half years ago, I jumped off a cliff and uh, into water and landed badly and d- did a burst fracture of the T10 vertebra. And it healed up pretty well. It looked really ugly on an MRI when eventually I got one done, and it was very painful for a long time. But it's healed completely now. And my question is, is it likely to come back at me in later times? Um, I mean, I'd, I hate to answer it this way, but I would say that the, the odds are against you. That, yeah, anytime you've had that significant of an injury, um, the way that that is now going to degen- degenerate is going to be much... Th- this is where degenerative disc disease matters in, in instances like this, where... Um, you, that area is likely going to degenerate much quicker than uh, any other area that that hasn't gone through that. So, um, you know, I almost don't like telling people that because you're kind of expecting it, but I also don't want to lie to you. So is it something that could rear its head? Yeah. Is it likely? Probably. Uh, how old are you? 67. Oh, oh. Six, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. You know, it, it, degenerative changes don't happen overnight. They do take time. So I would be more concerned if you were 37. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think you, you, you kind of got to, unfortunately, take it day by day. Um, you know, you, you I would recommend the biggest thing that you can do um, is really build a good, strong core with rehabilitation. Um, just in, in the instance that that does become significant enough to start causing pain, you at least have a strong core. And that's really... If you have a strong core, then really you can have as much degeneration as possible. It tends to eliminate or minimize the amount of pain. So I would say that that's probably um, your best bet. And obviously, don't jump off any more cliffs. Um, well, people said, <laughs> "Sorry, what the hell are you doing that for?" Well, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm not doing it anymore. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I figured that much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say yeah, in general, that it's. Uh, uh, it's something that I think you should be doing good core rehabilitation for um, just so that it, it keeps that area stable and minimizes any type of exacerbations or pain that that area might cause in the future. I have uh, no issues with it at all at the moment. I good. have no pain. I was really concerned about pulling and dragging last year. I ride a motorcycle fairly consistently and putting it up in the center stand was something I thought was going to be a problem because it creates a lot of pressure on your mm. spine. Uh, yeah, I'd say no, be, be no, proactive no, about it, though. Rehab is not, it, it, I mean, doing exercises for your back is not going to be harmful. So, you know, you got nothing to lose. I think I think the best thing you could be doing right now is good rehabilitation of your core. 
Alan, appreciate that call. Any uh, further discussion, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, would be the way. That's one of those weird circumstances where is Alan being rather a younger guy, being a, an older gentleman, time's actually on his side if he's worried about degeneration. I mean, like you said, if he was yeah. 25, then it's like, oh boy. Yeah, yeah I mean, even, even significant degeneration happens quicker, but it doesn't happen overnight. Now, right. um, again, I think it's great that he doesn't have an issue with it, but again, and I think when it comes to low back injuries, the answer really it can almost be anything. You got to do good rehabilitation. Yeah. The spine is just that way. You got to rehabilitate it, and if you can rehabilitate it the proper way, it really, really tends to to minimize. And the best outcomes, the best patients that I've seen that have done the best with their chronic back or spine issues is is really with rehabilitation. Right. Yeah. You got an email? Go for yeah, it. I do. Um, and it's it's actually related to some type of trauma as well. So. Um, this uh, person writes after two serious falls, both in different years in my fifties and for different reasons, uh, I had, I had been diagnosed with a scoliosis, which I have, I had never had before. Can a fall or an uneven surface where the upper body is six to eight inches higher than the lower body do this? So I guess the question becomes, can trauma create scoliosis? My answer to that is if it did, if it was re- related to the trauma, it would be related to fractures of the spine. The radiologist would have seen that. So whoever saw the x-rays would have commented that there's... Because when things, when we see, we can see, or a radiologist uh, can see fractures and tell you, is this new or is this something that's old? Um, and so, you know, sh- it, the, the, the reality is here that it depends on what was seen in, in the x-ray or the CAT scan or whatever they did. Um, were there fractures that were relatively new after these falls? Um, and obviously, if you have some type of uh, fracture on one side of the vertebrae, it can create a scoliosis. Um, the other thing is she maybe had a scoliosis her whole life and just didn't know yeah, it, right? right? Um and so that's the big thing. Or maybe she did know she didn't have a scoliosis, and all of a sudden, like she's writing, maybe she does. So uh, I, I guess it really, really depends. Yeah, I'd have to see the images and see the radiology report to um, to see was it commented that this was a new fracture um, and that that fracture led to uh, changes in the shape of the spine, which is possible. It would be a traumatic scoliosis. Yeah, that seems kind of weird just to have something like, as opposed to not being born with it or whatever. Right? Yeah, I mean, but again, there would be telltale signs in the imaging yeah. that would tell us that this is related to trauma. Yeah. Yeah, it's not something that would just happen and there'd be no signs uh, that that we'd be able to observe. So, um, you know, I don't know. I'd have to, I guess I'd have to see it in order to, to be sure, but you know, a lot of falls can lead to compression fractures in the spine and those compression fractures can change the way your spine curves for sure. It's uh, been another eventful hour and thank you for all your phone calls. Thank you, Dusty. Thank you, Courtney. And moving forward, want to get a hold of uh, Dr. Lou simple one eight five 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 Dr. Lou D R L O U info at paincarecanada.com. Till next time, Dr. Pain show global news radio, six forty Toronto.